Good day to all of our investors and general listeners. This is the Rudd Commentary. My name is Josh Rudd, and I'll be your host on this presentation today. And with me today, as usual, is Jack Kerr from our Capital Markets Group to bring us up to date on the state of the financial markets. And later in the program, Jack, we have a very special guest. I know. I heard. I'm pretty excited about it. For our new listeners who may not be familiar with our firm, the Rudd Company is a wealth management firm headquartered in Fort Worth, Texas. We manage investments for clients across the country and specialize in personal investment management, retirement planning, and the setup and management of employer-sponsored retirement plans. Jack, today I would like to reach out to our listeners who are currently running their own business, or really just successful professionals who are considering making the leap and, and starting their own business. So today's podcast is the first part of a two-part series designed to help entrepreneurs invest in their future. Sounds great, Josh. I know we have a lot of aspiring entrepreneurs in our client base, so I'm excited to give them some advice and, and have a guest on the podcast. That's right, Jack. Some of our most successful families have created significant wealth by taking an idea and building a successful business from the ground up. And these are the individuals that make the biggest financial impact in our society by creating new products and technology. And can you believe employing nearly 60 million Americans? I'm looking forward to this discussion topic today and hearing from a very successful entrepreneur on this podcast. Before we do that, Jack, what are some of the key investment themes that happened in the month of July? Yeah, Josh, I'd like to talk about market performance first and then some economic points that we've been following over the last month. In last month's podcast, we talked a lot about the importance of staying in the market and how difficult it is to time the market and move in and out. For those of our listeners who stayed in the market over the last month, they've been rewarded as our market indexes continue to move to all-time highs. The main driver for performance this month has been quarter two earnings. So in July, we've seen companies report earnings for the last quarter, and we've seen them do really well, actually. Extremely well. Yeah. Over 80% of companies are beating revenue and earnings expectations. But what I wanted to focus on is a few themes I've been hearing in earnings thus far. So first is the increase in input costs and commodity costs for companies. So we've been talking a lot about inflation and how that's likely to weigh on profitability from a corporation standpoint. Oh, yeah, it's been a really big deal. We've seen a lot of that. So I think the companies with more competition are going to have to take some hit on the bottom line, and then that's going to weigh on profitability. I'm guessing that companies with less competition, maybe some more pricing power, could be able to increase their prices and move those cost on to consumers. We'll see as we head towards the end of the year. Well, I think that's really the key, right, Jack, is some of these companies are very reluctant to push that cost to the consumer. And you brought up competition, but I I would think for a lot of reasons. And we'll see who really has the power to do that in the coming quarters. Yeah, yeah. They're trying to uh, not push that along. But again, at some point, they might have to. The second theme I want to talk about was the supply chain. So supply chain issues are still persisting, but I think they are improving. For example, in the auto market, we've seen car manufacturers not be able to make as much cars due to the chip shortages that we've all heard about. A lot of them on the quarter two earnings calls have been talking about that problem starting to improve towards the end of the year. So I think we should see some of those shortages and in some of these industries really improve as we enter the fourth quarter of 2021. And then finally, companies are still having trouble finding workers in states with the enhanced unemployment benefits. This continues to be a problem, although we are expected to see these unemployment benefits expire in the majority of states in Q3. It was definitely an issue at the earlier part of the year. 
Josh, I don't know if you've flown recently, but we've seen some problem with airlines and pilot shortages and a lot of delays and even cancellations because the airlines just don't have enough pilots to, to fly the planes. So that combined with rising fuel costs for them has caused some struggle as demand has picked up in the airlines market. Oh, yes. And that's a subject we can talk about on another podcast. You know, we had all these pilot shortages and then this rush to bring on new and and younger pilots with new incentives. And then when the coronavirus happened, we had a lot of pilots that were furloughed or asked to retire early. So it's been kind of a roller coaster with the number of pilots we've had in the industry. And I've also read that there's been a lot of concerns over fuel shortages as well and just keeping a lot of these planes in the air. So it's going to be interesting to see, Jack, how air transportation and really the transports in general do going forward. Something else you mentioned regarding the inflation and passing along consumer or the cost to the consumer. Have you seen also that some of the companies that produced a lot of these consumer goods are reducing the quantity that they're putting out for the same price? Have you noticed that? Yeah, we've seen those headlines actually over the last week or so where companies are selling the same product with less quantity for the same price. Haven't seen that much of that personally, but I'm interested in looking into that and seeing the effects of that for sure. Yeah, we're watching very closely to see when a lot of these inflation pressures show up in the grocery store and not just on the big tip ticket items like the airfare and automobiles and homes, right, Jack? And that's actually the next thing I wanted to talk about from an economic standpoint and some of the numbers that came in in June. We saw the core consumer price index rose 4.5% in June, which was the largest jump since August 2008. We've been talking about it for months. Most consumers are aware that this is happening. But I wanted to dive into the numbers a little bit. A third of that increase was actually in used car prices. I talked about those chip shortages earlier for new cars. So we've seen a lot of consumers forced to move to the used car market, and that's really pushed up prices in that market particularly. But one thing the core CPI does not include is the food and oil costs. So, Josh, you pointed to that. You know, when's our grocery bill going to start increasing? I'm sure many people have already seen, especially those that are commuting a lot, their fuel bill month to month increasing. But I think that grocery bill is slowly going to creep up. And and maybe by the end of the year, you're going to realize you're paying $10, $15 more than you were before. And we'll continue to monitor those trends. Especially for folks like me who have all these kids at home, I've got to continue to buy the same quantity. If they're cutting my Doritos packages, I'm going to have to buy two of them, right, Jack? Yeah, yeah, that could be a pretty (laughs) big cost. And then finally, I wanted to touch on the housing market here. We've seen a few different things in the housing market this year. Home prices break records month to month. As people during the pandemic worked on their homes or looked to move to different states, I think that's really pushed up home prices. Also, low interest rates, obviously, people can go out and finance for very cheap. But with that, we've seen home sales last month actually fall to a pandemic low. So, Josh, I think a lot of people are starting to get priced out of the market when looking for a house. And maybe they're just figuring, hey, we can wait a few more months or maybe we can wait another year to buy that new home that we've been looking for. Well, Jack, I'm glad you brought that up because I know on more than one occasion, our team here has heard that from our successful client base, not just for our real estate investors, but just those looking to relocate. And as you had mentioned, just upgrade as they become more successful. We're seeing folks really tap the brakes when they're looking at new homes and it's because of the pricing. So it'll be interesting to see how this develops. And I'm also interested to see how it responds to rate movements throughout the end of the year. Agreed. That's all I had as far as our market update goes. We want to move into our topic now. 
And absolutely. I really appreciate that timely update, Jack. Well, as you know, entrepreneurs are some of our most successful investors as clients. And, and as a group, they tend to understand and appreciate risk better than other investors and, and can also have significant cash flow to invest. However, as a group that we've noticed, they tend to get laser focused on growing their business and, and can miss significant opportunities that are available to invest outside of their business. And at the same time, those opportunities could really limit or reduce a lot of the tax burden on them as well. Before we bring on our speaker, I'm kind of curious, what are some examples of those investment opportunities that you're talking about? Well, Jack, thanks for asking. I don't want to steal the thunder from our guest who will be on in a second. I think the biggest, and we've done a program, I think it's been, gosh, over a year on business retirement plans. I cannot stress the power of a 401k or business retirement plan for an entrepreneur, not just for accumulating wealth and keeping that investment habit alive as you move from you know a stable paycheck with a large corporation to running a business and taking distributions instead of a paycheck. Just keeping that investment regular, I think is extremely important, but the tax benefits can be incredible, really for you and, and your spouse and family members if you want to employ them or you have an opportunity to employ them as well. So that's the first thing. The second is really just building assets outside of your business. As I mentioned earlier, I implied business owners get very focused on their business. I know that when I started this firm, I was very focused on this business and really didn't pull my head up for probably a good year, at least, you know, making sure that we're pulling money out of our business as entrepreneurs and we're investing in things outside of the sector and and the business that we have just for diversification, Jack, but also for liquidity. I think those are the main things. But I don't, as I mentioned earlier, I don't want to steal the thunder from our our guest speaker. So I'm going to stop there, Jack. Now I'd like to introduce David Lear, a successful investor and entrepreneur who I've known for several years. David is one of our younger clients, and he's built a successful business and also made investing outside of his business a priority, which I believe is really set him apart. So I know our listeners are excited to hear his perspective. Welcome, David. Thank you. So one of the reasons that we wanted to have you on is really to just explore why small business owners sometimes don't invest outside of their business early in, I won't really say their careers, but after making that move from a stable paycheck to the unknown or taking some risk. And before we jump into that, I wanted just for you to bring our listeners up on what you do. Tell us a little bit about your business and just give us an idea of your background and let's set the stage here for this discussion. Sure. I'm an accountant by degree. I have a degree in accounting from Texas A&M University and got out about 20 years ago. It's hard to believe at this point. It's been 20 years. I saw accounting kind of from the from the ground up and eventually about seven years ago went out and started my own business. And at this point, most of what we do is help people with ERP implementations, data migrations, reporting and analytics, just best practices, business process improvements. We use a lot of acronyms in our business. What does ERP mean? Enterprise Resource Planning. I might have looked that up, though, before I <laughs> actually think you're right. <laughs> so essentially a system that can accumulate information from lots of different sources, whether it's financial or non-financial, and you know help people plan their business and get analytics and monitor what's working and what's not working. So I've got to ask, David, why did you decide, you know, you had a great job, why did you decide to go out on your own? Yeah, I think that was probably one of the hardest decisions. It's, it was a good firm, and I had a lot of success there, but I had gotten to a point where I was at one of those crossroads of whether you were going to double down at that firm or you were going to try something new or take another step with a different firm. And it was just one of those inflection points where you just get to decide what your next adventure is going to be, you know, sort of flip of a coin in some some <laughs> some ways, because it really was a good, a good place to be. It just, you know, do you want to stay there forever or, or move on? I think I'm going to ask some questions that I'm sure our listeners are curious on. So you're at a good company. You probably had some benefits, right? Sure. You had some benefits and things are stable and you're doing well and you're moving up. 
What are some of the changes and risks that you saw right when you made that departure? I mean, were there some like shocking things that you didn't realize or did you think, oh my gosh, I went out on my own. I can't believe I did this. Tell, tell me about that. You know, one of the things that, that happened right around the time that I was thinking of leaving is I read a book by Tim Ferriss. And one of the things that he talked about was about fear setting, which is sort of goal setting where you make a list of goals and then you figure out how you're going to accomplish those goals. But he kind of twists it to you make a list of all your fears and all the risks and you start trying to mitigate those ahead of time. So I'm not going to say that I identified every possible risk out there, but I knew a lot of the big ones and I knew a lot of the things that, that I was trying to head off on the way in. You know, lots of discussions with my wife and our family. We had young kids at the time and, and just making sure that we sort of had a plan for, for how the next three to six months were going to work out. And then and they just kind of take it as it comes. So based on what you and I have talked about, things have gone well. You've been successful and I know you've grown your team. Looking back, was it worth it? Definitely. Yeah, we've been able to do lots of cool things as a family. You have a different boss now. When <laughs> you worked for a firm, now it's, you know, direct customers. It was definitely a good change for us. And I think looking back, the amount of stress that I was under at my prior job, and amount of sort of maybe unhappiness or questioning, that, you know, my decisions and stuff, being able to make this change sort of made that go away. And I was a much happier person. So that stress kind of overrode that, the fear that you had initially. Yeah, because you don't really business. know it's there necessarily, right? So yeah. you kind of are able to look back. That's kind of the hard part, right? You have to leap and then get to look back and see how it went. Many of the entrepreneurs we work with have found that it's pretty difficult to invest outside their business for many different reasons. Tell us why you feel it's important to save and invest outside of your primary business. I think it just comes down to diversification at some level. I think you are, you're always told by guys like Josh and, and you, Jack, to not put all your eggs kind of into one basket. And so to some degree, if you put everything into the business, then that's kind of your only basket, right? And so, so I think the, the easiest way I thought of it when I started my business was that I was still, quote unquote, employee of my business. And that made it sort of easy for me to interact with the business as an employee at, at a first level and invest in the 401k and, and kind of have all those pieces in place for myself. And then there's kind of this extra return or extra layer of the business growth or the business income on top of that. I'm glad you mentioned that because the 401k specifically is something that we're champions of for small business owners just because of the tax perspective mm -hmm. or the tax savings that you get. You know, and one of the other things we have with small business owners is we tell them, find a good accountant. They can really help you. They're in most cases worth the increase in fees that you're paying them to do all the work. You know, you have a great professional on your side and they're organizing things that you may or may not have time to do when you're running your business. Was that something that right out of the gate you knew that you needed, you know, different tax saving strategies and retirement saving strategies now that you didn't have the benefits of a, a larger home office or firm? I think yes, but that's mainly just because of my background in accounting and finance. I think I just knew that that was a good idea and I had been practicing that throughout my career to that point. I didn't want to stop. So that was a priority of mine. Even when I started the business was how do I figure out how to get simple 401k or what's the right strategy? I don't know if that's the right investment vehicle, but you know, what's the right sort of thing for me to put in place on top of this so that I can continue that growth and get the tax benefit and maybe not really have much impact in my take-home pay. So I wanted to continue that on. I will say that after a year or two, I realized that I wasn't doing very well at managing my investment portfolio, which is why I you know, reached out to try to find somebody to help me with that piece so that I have more time on my business and I don't have to worry so much about managing the day-to-day -day investment assets. Well, we are very happy you did that and wish other small business <laughs> owners would do that as well. We, we love working with uh, people like yourself. 
So I will say some of the things that we bring up right out of the gate when we have a new entrepreneur as a client, you know, some of the real basic things is increasing their levels of liquidity, making sure that they have a little more cash than someone that's just, mm -hmm. you know, paycheck to paycheck employee at maybe a, a large firm that becomes extremely important because the business can have setbacks and you don't ever want to worry about meeting payroll and, you know, right. you know, paying good people or paying your vendors or whatever the case may be. So I think liquidity is number one for us. Another one is just the basic things like, you know, having a will, doing your estate plan, buying some term life insurance, those things become extremely important as a small business owner, you know, just making sure that you're managing risk. Well, and as we talked about with you, you don't have to hire an accountant, I guess, because you're a pretty good accountant yourself. Is there any other advice that you'd give to an entrepreneur or just some things that you think is really important as they're running their business and trying to manage all these plates spinning in the air? Yeah, we experience challenges around when to hire the next person, how to take on work. We have a very, it's a services related business. And so we have jobs that are big and jobs that are small and trying to make them all somehow just stay full, you know, is a challenge. The biggest part is just, I think just not getting caught up too much in the plan, right? Like you, I think you come out with, this is what my business is and this is how my business is gonna work. And sometimes you just sort of have to roll with what comes along. And that's been, I think a lesson for me is just around if I thought that in year one that my business would be what it is in year seven, I would have been completely wrong just because of what worked and what didn't work and being able to adapt. And I think that's important, probably not just in terms of what kind of work you do, but just in terms of new laws and new challenges that kind of come down the pike and just being able to be adaptable. Is there anything that really lent itself to your ability to adapt? Because I think if I was thinking about starting a business that would really resonate with me, what do you think gave you the ability to be flexible or adapt in changing environment? Um, I think it's just you probably don't know what kind of skill sets you have that you inherently have as you've gone through your work life, right? Like you've built up through your regular life and through your work life that you can leverage as you encounter things and just being able to take a chance and take a risk and, and say yes to stuff. There's been a lot of work that's come our way that I, I'm not sure it's really up our alley, but it turns out we're great at it whenever we kind of apply ourselves and, and you get a team around you and everybody chips in kind of with what they're good at. And I think to some degree it's it's taking a risk and even if it's not a monumental risk, but it's something that maybe you're not quite as sure of or that you didn't know was right in your wheelhouse and being able to grow. Those are really good points, and I appreciate that. So you talked about you having to adapt, and that was one of the things you learned early on. But as you started to have some more success in the business and getting to enjoy the fruits of your labor, and you saw your business doing really well, is that when you started to look at your um, long-term investment strategy outside of the business, or were you doing that earlier when you were still trying to set the business up? It's probably degrees of magnitude. I think when I first started the business, I was wanting to, like I said, I approached it as being an employee. And so I would quote unquote pay myself out of the business and I would make sure that there's a 401k contribution or there's investment activity still going on just as if I was employed by a larger firm. It sounds like a lot of the struggles, the good struggles that hit when you become successful, a lot of our business owners is what to do with all that excess cash right? That a business, you know, tends to throw off. And then that's where the taxes problems come in. And, you know, you talked a little bit earlier about uh, one of the common challenges we have convincing or explaining the benefits to some of our business owners about investing outside of their business and that diversification that we've talked about, you know, trying to not only pull money out of their business on a regular basis, but also outside that sector, you know, in the mm -hmm. economy. So that when we have an economic setback, you know, we do have a not a place to land, but we can continue to operate our family and continue to pay our, our right. key people, you know, the same way we have in an up market. That would seem to be extremely important. And that's what I'm, um, what I'm hearing. Yeah. 
and time is important too, right? Like, you know, you want that money to go to work kind of as soon as it can so it can grow. And the waiting for the business to take off is, you don't know when that's going to be. And so I think it's just important to kind of invest along the way. You, you just kind of have a baseline, if you will, of investment activity. And then hopefully you do have that windfall later on. Another question that I, I have that I thought of that some of our listeners who are thinking about starting a business is, do you have any opinions yourself as an entrepreneur, but also as a tax professional about the use of leverage, you know, borrowing money, borrowing against retirement accounts, things like that to start a business. Is that something that you had to do or is that something that you have strong convictions on? I was fortunate that I had a services related business where my upfront cost was effectively a computer and maybe a suit. And that was about it. So I didn't have to use any leverage for the business. I don't know that I have any strong views one way or the other. We've been very conservative with leverage just in our in our personal lives and in fact early on when I was just a you know out of college employee I mean the whole my whole focus was on paying off debt just so that I would have liquidity or I would have even leverage credit available if I wanted to take on leverage to start a business right like you basically sort of pay all that other stuff all your school loans and all that other stuff down we lived within our means and any bonuses we got were used to pay off leverage rather than to go buy you know new cars and stuff and so ultimately I think it ends up being a lot of small decisions piling up and making it easier to make the big decisions. Yeah. And as we talked about earlier, you know, businesses uh, were very focused on limiting leverage with our new entrepreneurs and trying to get them to invest outside of their business. Because we talk about in our office that uh, businesses don't go out of business because they can't find a great idea or a new product. They tend to go out of business because they run out of money. Right. And it's uh, not a good thing when you have a, a large note or you're highly leveraged or have a credit line that's tapped with a lending institution or a banker. And so not only do we give advice to have good banking relationships, but also to be very conservative with leverage when you're starting a business because it can really cause some stress like we talked about earlier. So on the other side of things, Josh, you said one of the more important things that you hear is for you to have excess cash and two entrepreneurs right here in front of me. I'm kind of curious. How do you know when to use that excess cash or to save that excess cash for the business first, actually use it for investing? And you don't want to just have idle cash forever, but at the same time, it sounds like you want to have that buffer of cash as well when things go wrong or if you see any business opportunities. How do you balance that with potentially using that cash to invest it? I'll let Dave take a stab at that one first <laughs> and then I'll, uh, I'll, I'll throw in my comments. <laughs> I typically contact my financial advisor. (laughs) (laughs) Just going to put it right back to you. (laughs) I'm to a point now in the business where I still try to just consider, you know, I think the advice may be something along six months cash or three months cash kind of being available for emergencies, something along those lines. And I still kind of think of it in those terms, whatever that sort of run rate is of of three months of cash or six months of liquidity, whatever that is. And anything over that is sort of free to be invested and sort of. So I guess as the business grows, I don't know if that needs to be a smaller number, right? I think it gets to be where it's not as hard of a thing to do as the business grows and is successful to have kind of that cash reserve in my mind. Well, I really agree with that because a lot of our entrepreneurs have a skill in relationships and closing business and going out and you know, you can have great relationships with your banker and where you have those lines of credit and, mm-hmm. and the banks and yeah. the accounts and financial advisor and whoever else that may be. I'll tell you from my perspective, a lot of times it's very challenging because equity throughout history has been a clear outperformer, right, to holding conservative treasuries or debt. And so as an investment manager, I always want to hold equity. And really it comes down to I'm not holding treasury bond or municipal bond because I think it's a 
superior investment long-term to an equity investment. The reason I'm holding it is because we don't know what's going to happen next year or the following year or two or three years down the road. And sometimes there's a place that we may need to go to grab something a little more stable to take advantage of an opportunity. But, and, and goodness, if, what if we needed it to actually meet payroll, you know, in a situation? I mean, I think 2020 was a real interesting example because, you know, we had a lot of businesses that were struggling in the, in the restaurant and retail industry. I mean, just even making payroll and staying open. And we had all these government programs and they were kicking out cash. And I believe that if you run your business well and you have that ample, I don't know whether it's three to six months for any person listening, you know, based on their situation. But if you do have ample liquidity, and that's why we kind of beat this drum all day long, you need to have that liquidity because you don't know what setbacks you're going to have. So it's really about flexibility. It's about taking advantage of opportunities. And I always think about it kind of on a sailboat. I think, you know, that that those fixed income products or those short-term products, you know, they're not necessarily making the boat go faster, but you know, like a keel underneath the boat. They're providing a lot of stability. They're definitely in some rough waters. So, Jack, that's how I'd answer that question is I believe it's a good balance. And I think that I'd recommend small business owners be very careful and and really step back and take a a very balanced approach to their investments outside of their business. Because remember that your investment in your business is is equity in most cases. And so not only do you have all of your income and livelihood, you know, if that business goes under in a rough market, you've also got all those employees counting on you and you're, you know, you're affecting more lives than just yourself. So having that ample liquidity to do that and then also uh, take advantage of, of opportunity, I think is a very wise and prudent thing to do. And I think if you compare my answer to Josh's answer, you'll see why having someone like Josh on your team is uh, <laughs> is wise. It's great to have kind of a resource to talk through. Because I think as a business owner, you have some specialization in your business, but you might not have the specialization kind of in every aspect of it or in every every possible decision. And being able to have someone to kind of bounce those ideas and talk through is a good thing to have on your side. I have to second that. And a lot of our young entrepreneurs listening are those thinking about starting a business that is a huge difference. You know, Morgan brought up on one of our programs one or two podcasts ago about the impact in retirement of your social network and how it impacts you when you don't go to work every day and you have all your friends there. And and it's just very different, you know, kind of solo and you've got a spouse and that's pretty much it when you retire and your close group of friends around you. And I would say as an entrepreneur, especially the more successful you become, it can be a very lonely business. You know, you don't have 20 colleagues around you to go in and sit in a conference room and to throw ideas around. And so we've encouraged our clients to put together advisory boards and to, you know, go out and make those connections, even with competitors. And you just have a nice network of folks that you're talking to on a regular basis, because when you make that leap out of a big firm, you're on your own. And the first 18 months, uh, David, I don't know about you, but I really didn't even look up the first 12 yes. to 18 months, right? True. You don't even know that you're alone yet. And then you, you start to do well and you rest a little bit and you sit back. And, and I looked around and said, where'd everybody go? <laughs> right. Yep, I agree with that. I want to uh, thank you again for being on our program today. And we really appreciate all the uh, input and advice and experience and perspective that you've provided us today. And, and I know that our listeners who are thinking about that or those who are in the first, you know, 10 or 15 years of starting their business, especially those who are making good money now and maybe are wondering what to do with it. I know that this benefited them as well. So thank you very much for being on the program. We really appreciate your expertise. Yeah, thank you for having me. Well, Jack, that was a very valuable discussion. I wish I would have had the benefit of that advice and wisdom when I was just starting out. 
yeah, as a younger guy, it's definitely some things to think about and some, some good advice for me, for sure. Well, in fact, I would like to invite any of our listeners who are beginning to see some success in their business to contact us. We would definitely enjoy discussing your goals and objectives and being that partner that David mentioned earlier. I believe I can speak for my entire team when I say that helping high performers, especially entrepreneurs, succeed is one of the things that we enjoy most. Jack, do you know what we're going to cover on part two of our focus on entrepreneurs? Yeah, we're talking about the exit plan, right? When you're ready to get out of the business. Absolutely. And that's one of the more sexy topics that you think about when you think about starting a business and everybody wants to think about the exit and getting paid, right? Yeah, everyone wants to get paid. (laughs) Well, it's definitely critical to invest while you're growing a successful business. Many of our listeners may also be interested in hearing about someone who has successfully exited and sold their business. Not just how to work through the liquidity event, but also, Jack, what to do afterwards and not just with the proceeds, but what to do in life in general. So stay tuned on that. Josh, sounds like a great topic for next time. I think so. And we're really looking forward to this next guest. I know our listeners are going to get a lot of great information. And thank you to all of our listeners for taking the time to listen today. As always, if you enjoyed this program, please subscribe to The Red Commentary on Apple iTunes, Google Play, or your preferred podcast platform and never miss an episode. Also, if you know other investors that would enjoy this program, please share The Red Commentary podcast through email or on social media. We also like feedback on our program and ideas for future topics. So if you have the time, shoot us an email. We'd enjoy hearing from you. All of us here at The Red Company would like to thank you, our investors and clients, for your trust. Thank you for allowing us to be your partner in this long-term financial journey. We take our role very seriously. Thank you very much for listening today. This is The Red Commentary. I'm your host, Josh Rudd. And from all of us here at The Red Company, invest long and prosper. This commentary is distributed for informational purposes only and is not intended to constitute legal, tax, accounting, or investment advice. Nothing herein constitutes any offer to sell or solicitation of any offer to buy any security. All investment strategies and investments involve risk of loss, including the possible loss of principal invested, and nothing herein should be construed as a guarantee of any specific outcome or profit. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Any opinions expressed by employees of the Rudd Company are the Rudd Company's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of any affiliates. The opinions expressed by guest speakers are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Rudd Company or any affiliates. Guest appearances on this program does not imply the Rudd Company's endorsement of any entity, person, product, service, or investment. All opinions are current and only as of the date of recording and are subject to change without notice. 